This is the Finding the Founders podcast, episode 8. Hello, Patriots. Welcome to the Finding the Founders podcast. I am your host, Nathan Burr, and I am grateful that you have tuned in today. We're in a series of episodes looking at the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in the previous episode, I concluded talking about the right to life by making the statement that life is not meant to be just an existence a recycling of oxygen. Just keep the organism undead. Life is meant to be an experience. It has value. It has meaning. It has purpose. And that concept leads into what we're going to start talking about here in the next couple of episodes with the right to liberty and the right to the pursuit of happiness. I plan to do one episode on each of those, But as I thought about it a little bit, I realized the right to liberty needs to be broken down into two components. Next episode, we will define liberty. What did the Founding Fathers understand liberty to mean? It's a a word, and it's synonym freedom, that have a number of different interpretations depending on who you ask, and some of them aren't really aligned with what the Founding Fathers were talking about, and we'll touch on that. And then we'll look at Scripture to see if it supports a right to the Founding Fathers' definition of liberty. But today I want to look at three things the Founding Fathers believed about liberty. They clearly valued it at a high level. Why is that? The first thing the Founders believed is that liberty is a gift from God. Before he was famous on Broadway, Alexander Hamilton was a college student, only 17, 18, 19 years old, when he wrote a pamphlet defending the First Continental Congress. This drew a rebuttal from a gentleman who went by the pen name A.W. Farmer, and his rebuttal caused Hamilton to write another pamphlet. This was before social media, so they had to argue via pamphlet. And in this second pamphlet, entitled A Farmer Refuted, Hamilton wrote the following. Were you once to become acquainted with the natural rights of mankind, you could never entertain a thought that all men are not, by nature, entitled to a parity of privileges. You would be convinced that natural liberty is a gift of the beneficent creator to the whole human race, and that civil liberty is founded in that, and cannot be wrested from any people, without the most manifest violation of justice. How do you think Alexander Hamilton would have reacted to lockdowns for a virus with a 99.98% survival rate? Withdrawn, Your Honor. George Mason authored both the Virginia Declaration of Rights and the Virginia Constitution. And interestingly enough, did not vote to ratify the U.S. Constitution because he thought it gave too much power to the federal government. He was a strong advocate of the Bill of Rights, which went on to curtail some of that 
power or to make sure it wasn't misunderstood to give the federal government power it didn't have. I'll touch on that another time. In arguing before the General Court of Virginia, in the case Robin v. Hardaway, Mason said the following, Now all acts of legislature, apparently contrary to natural right and justice, are in our laws, and must be in the nature of things, considered as void. The laws of nature are the laws of God, whose authority can be superseded by no power on earth. A legislature must not obstruct our obedience to him from whose punishments they cannot protect us. All human constitutions which contradict his laws, we are in conscience bound to disobey. Such have been the adjudications of our courts of justice. These are powerful words, and particularly where they talk about a uh, natural law or a state of nature, they echo the words of men like John Locke, who we touched on in the previous episode, or men like John Jock Burlamacki, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing, an 18th century Swiss law professor, or William Blackstone, an 18th century English jurist. All of these guys, Locke, Burlamacki, Blackstone, were uh, key influencers of the Founding Fathers. And the things they wrote inspired the Founding Fathers. And they all talk about a state of nature and the laws of nature. And how in that state of nature, man is, by the laws of nature, free. What's interesting is that all of these gentlemen recognize that it is God who put man into nature. Who is the one who authored the laws of nature. And as we've talked about quite a bit already, it's clear that the Founding Fathers had a Judeo-Christian worldview. It is clear that the Founding Fathers viewed liberty as a gift from God. The Founding Fathers also believed that liberty needed and needs to be guarded. Thomas Jefferson, in a letter to a Colonel Edward Carrington, wrote, The natural progress of things is for liberty to yield and government to gain ground. Daniel Webster, the, the great lawyer and orator, said the following, Good intention will always be pleaded for every assumption of power, but they cannot justify it, even if we were sure that they existed. It is hardly too strong to say that the Constitution was made to guard the people against the dangers of good intentions. There are men in all ages who mean to govern well, but they mean to govern. They promise to be good masters, but they mean to be masters. The founders knew that by its very nature, government tends to get bloated. It tends to overreach. It tends to encroach. And so they were very careful in creating the government that they did to put in safeguards against that. Because they also recognized that when liberty is lost, liberty is lost for good. And it wasn't just the Founding Fathers who recognized that. Ronald Reagan, who I've referenced before, wasn't the Founding Father but would have made a good one, in his inaugural address as Governor of California in January of 1967, said the following, Freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by way of inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation, 
for it comes only once to a people. Now listen to this. And those in world history who have known freedom and then lost it have never known it again. Sober words of warning. But we also need to realize that it is not just government that is a danger to liberty. James Madison said that liberty may be endangered by the abuses of liberty as well as the abuses of power. And we in America could, could easily point to numerous examples of how we have taken our liberty to the extreme and have gone into licentiousness. There's a King James word for you. And it has caused us much harm and it has been detrimental. Liberty is like walking on a balance beam. If you stray too far to one side, you start tipping, and you start tipping faster and faster, and pretty soon you're laying on the ground beside it. But if you tip too far, or start leaning too far to the other side, you start tipping and you fall over there too. And that is why we need to be vigilant in guarding our liberty against both incursions. Liberty is a gift from God, and liberty needs to be guarded, lest it be lost. The third thing the Founders believed about liberty is that it is worth everything. Sam Adams, Samuel Adams, I don't know him that well, said the liberties of our country, the freedom of our civil constitution, are worth defending against all hazards, and it is our duty to defend them against all attacks. Benjamin Franklin came at this idea from a little bit different angle with a quote that has become famous in the last couple of years, but he was talking about far more than what we've endured. He said, they who would give up an essential liberty for temporary security deserve neither liberty or security. Or how about this one from John Adams in a letter to his wife. Posterity, you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom I hope you will make a good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. As Henry Blake would say, that hits you right where you live. And I say that in jest because I say everything in jest, but that gets you, or at least it ought to. And it, it saddens me that there are so many in America, and a lot of them Christians, and a lot more of them, my generation, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is we are, who don't value freedom, or at least not as highly as we ought. We owe it to ourselves to cherish freedom, to not take it for granted. Pointing the thumb right now, not the finger. We owe it to our neighbors. And I don't mean by that the people on the other side of the picket fence. I mean our fellow man. If, and we're going to look at this on our next episode, it is determined that liberty is in fact a God-given right. If the founder's definition of liberty is an accurate one, you could, you could make this suggestion, the argument that we owe it to God to cherish that which he has given us. But to get back to that quote from John Adams, we owe it to the hundreds of thousands of men and women 
who have given their life for liberty. Whether it was in the Revolutionary War, whether it was in the farm fields and rolling hills of our own country, fighting a civil war against slavery, against the very opposite of freedom, whether we're talking about the beachheads of Europe and the South Pacific or the jungles of Vietnam or the, the deserts of Iraq and Afghanistan, do you know how many people have left their wives and husbands, their children, their parents, their friends, their jobs, their futures, and gone off to some faraway land and died for liberty? If we do not cherish the freedom they fought, bled, and died for, we might as well spit on their graves because that's exactly what we're doing. Let me close out this section with, with another quote from Alexander Hamilton. He said, There is certain enthusiasm in liberty that makes human nature rise above itself in acts of bravery and heroism. And when we're talking about the men and women in our armed forces, we see that. But if I may dare to do so, I would add to Hamilton's quote by saying, not only in acts of bravery and heroism, but in acts of ingenuity, in creativity. Think of all the different things that have been invented in America, dreamt up in America, envisioned and created and made in America. And compare that with all the positive contributions made by a place like, I don't know, the Soviet Union. Look at a satellite image of North and South Korea at night. North Korea is black. South Korea is full of light, full of prosperity, full of inventiveness and capitalism and success. North Korea is communist. Or think about the words of Alexis de Tocqueville, the author of Democracy in America, the Frenchman who came over here and observed our country and wrote about it in the 1800s. And he remarked on the difference on the two sides of the Ohio River. In Ohio, you had industry and abundance and prosperity. In Kentucky, the population was, was scarce. Uh, the harvest was kind of sort of getting done. Nothing really seemed to be happening. And he remarked that it's, it's the same climate, it's the, the same basic people who settled here. The only real difference is that Ohio was free and Kentucky embraced slavery. Freedom is worth everything. And the few minutes I've spent on this episode don't begin to touch on it, which is why one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast, to hopefully inspire you and me to see what freedom is worth. The Founding Fathers believe that freedom is a gift from God.
that it needs to be guarded and that it is worth preserving at all costs. Next episode, we're going to define freedom according to the Founding Fathers. And we're going to ask the question, were they right in their definition? Or were they wrong? Did God grant to each and every one of us a right to freedom, to liberty, or not? And I hope that what we've talked about today kind of serves as a prelude to that. And I want to close now with a quote again from Samuel Adams. And this, this quote is a little heavy. It, it uh, comes like a slap in the face. And I will admit sometimes it is a slap in my own face, but it's one that's necessary. Samuel Adams said the following, If ye love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, go home from us in peace. We ask not your counsels or arms. Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chains set lightly upon you, and may posterity forget that ye were our countrymen. <laughs>